All right, if you would take your Bibles with me and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this morning I just made a few notes of uh, some things that I was reminded of, things that I learned on the trip. And again, if you're visiting with us here today, you came on a unique day. Uh, normally, our, our habit is to uh, open the Scriptures, and we are going to do this. We're going to read through the passage of Scripture, and uh, we usually dive into that. And, and uh, we, we have what we call here expository preaching, where we look at a verse and just tell you what it says and help explain it, help give you understanding on what God has given to us. Um, so I hope that if this is your first time visiting with us, that you'll make it back uh, on a week that's a bit more normal when our pastor is here. Uh, again, I think Bob mentioned it. He's at uh, Lighthouse Baptist Church in Vestal, New York, preaching a revival for them. The pastor there is Matt Smith. So Matt's dad, Dan Smith, is pastoring the church that pastor's dad started all those years ago and uh, is having an influence there. And so he's preaching for Matt Smith. I forget who mentioned it. It might have been uh, Jeff. He mentioned... So Matt Smith, who pastor's preaching for this morning, we came down to breakfast one morning, you know, for the continental breakfast, and Matt goes, "Man, I got to tell you what happened last night." And so he was. If some of you got to meet Pastor Chris Jeanette, Pastor Chris Jeanette is with us, um, he, or he rode over with us. He came from Illinois, drove here, and then carpooled with us. So man, I got to tell you what happened last night. He goes, "I woke up." And he says, "Brother Chris, he's standing over me with a pillow, going, oh, oh. and and." Uh, Matt's like, whoa, 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 man, wake up, you know. And apparently Pastor Chris was sleepwalking. And Pastor Chris, he, he, he kind of came out of that sleepwalking mode. He goes, man, I, I was fighting the British. <laughs> <laughs> so you never know. Some of these things that Jeff implants in our subconscious, you know, you go to bed at night and all of a sudden you're getting burned at the stake or something. I don't know. He's fighting off the British. But uh, I have never slept walked. But some, how many of you, you do like crazy stuff sleepwalking? Apparently my, my brother-in-law was like that. I mean, you know, go out and burn the town down and it'd be like, I was sleepwalking. So that's going to be my excuse if anything crazy ever happens. But um, some highlights for me, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get into these here. Let, let me read this for you because I want to make sure that I get it in and that I, that I come back to it. Second Corinthians chapter 3, the scripture here, Paul uh, says here through the inspiration of the Spirit, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart." And there in that verse, Paul is saying that those believers there had been changed by God and that their lives were a living testimony that that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is real, that His death, burial, and resurrection for our sins is real. And their fleshly... They weren't written in tables of stone. They were written in fleshly tables of the heart. And these people were living proof that there really is a God and His name is Jesus Christ and, and the death, burial, resurrection of our Lord and Savior is true that Jesus Christ is coming back and they were waiting in anticipation of His return. And Paul says, we don't need these letters of commendation. People can look at your lives. You're known and you're read of all men. And I think about what all of the history that we were able to read about this week. And uh, the Jeff... Um, 
Pastor Jeff Faggart, who pastors Harvest Baptist Church in Rockwell, North Carolina. He's the president of the Baptist History Preservation Society. And uh, Patrick uh, mentioned how on Sunday night when they met at uh, the, the, the church, the, the host church um, there in New York, that he preached a message and basically gave a testimony about how it all started. And I'm actually not familiar with how it all started, but I wanted to let you guys know that um, Pastor Hawkins told me that the audio from that would be available. So um, you can get this detail from me later, but I'll give it to you real quick. But it's New Life Baptist Church in Hudson Falls, New York. I think it's NLBC. I forget their website, but just Google New Life Baptist Hudson Falls, New York. And that message from last Sunday night should be available. I want to go online and get that this week um, because I can't wait to hear the testimony of how that all started. It, it would put so much in perspective. But we, we read about so much history that was on tables of stone this week. It was in books. And I'm going to come back to this passage here in a moment. But one of the, one of the huge things that I was reminded of this week is that God is faithful. God is faithful. In Romans chapter 4, verse 21, the Bible says of Abraham there in Romans, it says, "...and being fully persuaded that what he has promised, he was able also to perform." And you know, Ed mentioned it. These people, they were starting churches before there was the Model T Ford. Uh, it was interesting. In Boston, we got to go by and see the grave of Paul Revere. But you know, there's Martin Gamble, and he's a guy from our Baptist history that rode more miles than Paul Revere did warning Baptists that the British were coming. And those Baptists got together and were able to take a stand. And, and there are men from our history that did amazing things. Nobody told Martin that, you, that, that it couldn't be done. And I think he actually, were you there on that trip? He, 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 he basically rode out like three horses. He, he rode one till it was about to, to die and then got on another one in another town. And it was just amazing. Like Ed said, these people did not know that it couldn't be done. And when he said that, I mean, I was convicted. I, I just sit there thinking about, you know, in my mindset, is there anything that God has asked us to do that we sit there and think, well, we can't do that? Well, no, if God has commanded us to do it, we absolutely can in, in his help. And God will open those doors. And if you remember Jesus, he gives the commission to the disciples. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. And then what does he say? All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. So there is no stopping a believer that will just follow the commands of God. And it was so cool to be connected with our history in that, that, that like Ed said, these people didn't know that they, it, it couldn't be done. And so they just went out and did it. Um, but God is faithful. What he has said, and, and uh, he's able to bring to pass. Number two, that faithful men and women have gone before us. Faithful men and women have gone before us. You remember Elijah? Those prophets of... Uh, there are all these prophets of Baal and, and Elijah, he calls down fire from God out of heaven and it looks up the water that's all around the altar, all saturated in that altar. And then Jezebel comes after Elijah and Elijah flees for his life and he gets out in the desert and he goes, God, it's just me. I'm the only one, one, one. Nobody else is doing it, anything. It's just me, God. And he goes out there and has, you know, the little kind of the, the me syndrome, the pout, feel sorry for myself. And what does God tell him? And I can't remember, forgive me, my, my brain this morning is, uh, we, we drove all night through the night, Friday and Saturday night. We didn't stay in the hotel. 
So this morning, I couldn't remember 2 Timothy 3.16. You know, as a preacher, you know it's a rough day if you can't remember 2 Timothy 3.16. But I can't remember the, the number, but God said, there's a, there's a certain number, Elijah, that have not bowed their knee to Baal that I've reserved. You're not the only one. And, you know, as we dive into our history, we see, you know what, we're not the only ones. And how encouraging that is to know that there were fathers and mothers and children that said yes to Jesus Christ. There were men that got saved, like uh, I think it was maybe Ed that said, later in life, they got saved and they gave their whole lives to Christ. And, and, and they didn't know that, that, that they had no idea what all God would do with them, but they were faithful men and women who have gone before us. Um, Romans fifteen four, the scripture says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. These words, the lives of these people that God has recorded for you is so that you can read about their lives and have hope. And we know biblical hope is an earnest expectation. You know, today we use it like, oh, I hope I win the lottery. I hope a lot of things. A biblical hope. God's saying, I want you to earnestly expect that what God has promised, He is able to perform. And you can see that in the lives of people that have been recorded for us in Scripture, but not only in Scripture, but as we learn about people from Baptist history. Uh, one that uh, um, it just so sticks out to me, we have the painting of this depicted as the beating of Obadiah Holmes. And um, after that amazing Boston cream pie, that uh, it was actually, I think, uh, yeah, it was after that amazing Boston cream pie, uh, Justin and I, it was just three-tenths of a mile, so we walked down to the site where Obadiah Holmes was beaten. And it's actually, um, if any of you have been to Boston and you've seen the big circle marker that they have for where the Boston Massacre happened there, I think it's dated March 5th, 1770, if I remember off the top of my head. Literally, you can stand there at that circle and look, and there's the... Um, a building there, if I remember right, it's the, the state courthouse or the, the state house there. And, and right there is where the post was where Obadiah Holmes was beaten. And, and I wanted to make sure today that when we say that your support and your love and your prayer for our pastor and the Baptist history that he's doing for the journal, when we say that it's such an encouragement to him and um, that that's such a blessing, I can't overstate that enough. Um, so what happened was, I want to try to connect a few things here. In the, in, the, in the journal, this most recent issue that we printed, it's the Baptists of New England. And so Pastor Jeff gave us some information about the sites that we were going to go. So we included that in the journal, and then we gave all the guys that journal after the trip to help them remember everything that we had just seen because you're on, like, information overload, you know. But what was interesting, and Pastor read this um, for us at the site uh, there where the First Baptist Church in America was founded there in, in Rhode Island, this is a picture, it's a facsimile. Um, it says, the book of the general laws and liberties concerning the inhabitants of Massachusetts. And so what happened was, Pastor read this for us at that site. And I want you to listen to this. This is 1644. This is the law on the books in Massachusetts. And they did not believe in religious liberty. So listen to this, 1644. It says, for as much as experience hath plentifully and often proved that since the first arising of the Anabaptists, about a hundred years past, they have been the incendiaries of, of commonwealths and the infectors of persons in main matters of religion and the troublers of churches in most places where they have been, and that they who have held the baptizing of infants unlawful have usually held other errors or heresies together with 
Though as heretics used to do, they have concealed the same until they espied a fit advantage and opportunity to vent them by way of question or scruple. And whereas diverse of this kind have since our coming into New England have appeared amongst ourselves, somewhere of as others before them have denied the ordinance of magistracy and the lawfulness of making war, others the lawfulness of magistrates and their inspection into any breach of the first table, the first table is the first table of the law. We as Baptists believe in individual soul liberty. So we can, you know, it's a crime to, you know, murder your brother. But we're not going to hold it as a crime to worship God according to the dictates of your conscience. They didn't want that. They wanted to be, in, to be able to enforce the first table of the law. So it says here, which opinions, itch, if connived at, by us, are like to be increased among us and so necessarily bring guilt upon us, infection and trouble to the churches and hazard to the whole commonwealth. It is therefore ordered by this court and authority thereof that if any person or persons within this jurisdiction shall either openly condemn or oppose the baptizing of infants or go about secretly to seduce others from the approbation or use thereof or shall purposely depart the congregation at the administration of that ordinance or shall deny the ordinance of magistracy or their lawful right or authority to make war to punish the outward breaches of the first table and shall appear to the court willfully and obstinately to continue in there uh, continue therein after due means of conviction. Every such person or persons shall be sentenced to banishment. Now, here's a, here are a couple things that are so important. And I've learned, uh, and I want to say this. Um, when you begin to try to study to recount some things in Baptist history, man, I am challenged at how difficult it is. And so it really helps me to see how, how uh, our pastor, he's worked so hard and labored in that, you know, and the way he's able to give dates and accounts of things. It, it's fascinating. But I'm so excited as a young preacher to learn because here's what will happen. Uh, Albert Moeller, president of Southern Baptist Seminary, he's so excited about Reformation Day. And this, this year marks the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. And those people are very excited about that. And they believe, you know, and, and many Southern Baptists uh, believe, that we came out of the Reformation. Well, if there were Anabaptists troubling people 100 years before 1644, how did we originate in the 1640s? You see, and so it's things like that. It's documents like that that our pastor is able to get his hands on. And we print in the journal. And, and Pastor Jeff is so um, excited to try and connect us with real history because I think it was uh, Patrick or one of the guys said, that history is being rewritten. You know, it's often, uh, I've heard the statement uh, that the, the history, history is written by the victors. And you know what? At times it seems like um, our history, it's just disappearing. And there were, there were actual sites, the, the site there of the First Baptist Church in America. Pastor Jeff said he would not be surprised if he went back one of those years and that table was taken off of that rock. Like that's how, that's how those, those, those people in that area, he said when he, when he first saw it you know, 15 some odd years ago, it was, it was that rock and that monument that described the beginning of that church. And now there are other monuments around it that just have some of the weirdest inscriptions in the world on them. But what are they trying to do? They're trying to draw attention to other things. And he said he wouldn't be uh, surprised if you came back sometime and that was gone. And what I wanted to ask him is, can you make sure that you get that table if they, if they could take it off there? But imagine that. Imagine, I thought in my mind, what if I'm seeing something that 10 years from now you cannot come back and see with your own eyes? Because that's how it's being rewritten. It's being taken away. But Isaac Backus there. So in Massachusetts, it was against the law there to uh, be one of these Anabaptists. But the sentence, notice, was banishment. How is it that Obadiah Holmes was beaten and not just banished? 
Well, it shows you how much they were going after these Baptists when they did, they violated the sentence of their own laws to persecute our Baptist forefathers. And so men like Isaac, uh, sorry, I said Isaac Bacchus, men like Obadiah Holmes, Obadiah Holmes there was, that was beaten. Um, I think about um, Adoniram Judson. Uh, Ed had mentioned this. Some of these guys that came to Christ later in life and talking about faithful men and women that have gone before, we, we got to see where um, Adoniram Judson and, and some of his friends had prayed and asked God to do a great work through missions. And Adoniram Judson was an amazing Baptist missionary to Burma. But the amazing thing is, when he was on his way to Burma, he wasn't a Baptist. He was coming. To, he was a Congregationalist. Is that right? He was a Congregationalist. And so he was sent by the Congregationalist, and he's on the boat on his way over there to Burma. And he's reading the Scriptures. And if all you got is a boat and the Bible, and you're reading through the Scriptures, and what Adoniram was trying to do was he was trying... He knew that there were Baptists over there in Burma, and he was studying the Scriptures for himself so he could defend the position of infant baptism. The problem was you got a boat and a Bible and yourself, and you study that, you're not going to find infant baptism in the Bible. And so he became convinced of Baptist principles... And the congregationalists found out about it that had sent him over there and they cut his funds. That's a bummer. You get over there to Burma, it's like, man, could you have told me that before? You know, but he wasn't a Baptist before he left. And he gets over there and he's a Baptist. And all of a sudden he has, to, he has um, remind me of the man's name that was his friend that held the rope. Luther Rice. Luther Rice was a Baptist that came back here and started raising money. For, now, how many of you realize in this day and age, it's just kind of hard to raise money for stuff? Now imagine back then, you've got to raise money. For your friend and Luther Rice, what happened it was the same thing that happened to him, right? He went over as a congregationalist, and those two of, of these seven or eight guys that we saw on this plaque, those two became Baptists on the way over to Burma. And so Luther Rice says, I'll go back and we'll raise funds and get this thing going for you again. So every Adonim Judson has a Luther Rice. And, you know, there are people, as our pastor gets to go out, I hope that you will look at yourself and say, you know, I'm going to hold the rope for him back here. I'm going to pray for him. We're going to support this work financially. We're going to tell other people about it. You know, I've got pastor friends that I'm trying to uh, encourage to come on these tours with us um, because I have friends that I graduated with that are, that are dropping the King James Bible, that are, um, not emphas- that, are, that are dropping the name Baptist off the church. Um, and, and that's tough. And, and praise God for everybody that gets saved. But what I'm seeing more and more as a young preacher is that, yes, there are people getting saved in those churches. But 100 years from now, that ain't going to be a Bible-preaching church. Because you get away from this book, that's what's going to happen in 100 years. Yeah, sure, people are getting saved today, but, man, that thing is, what's going to be here in 100 years? And, and we've been able to experience buildings that are there a couple hundred years later. Bellingham, Massachusetts, where Baron Rodgers is pastor there. What, what is that? He's preaching the gospel today because there was a local church there. So Adoniram Judson became convinced about his principles. Think about this, just the wives of these men. The wives of these men. Uh, I printed out the account, but I forgot to grab it off the copier. That's okay. Balthazar Hubmeyer, he's not a guy that we saw on this trip, but in Baptist history, he was prominent. He was burnt at the stake for his faith. And just a short time after that, his wife was drowned in the Danube. They said, you want to be baptized? We'll baptize you. They put her in a sack and put a, a millstone around it and threw her in the river. You know, there, we, we learn about Baptist men, but that we also learn about a, a, a many wives that were, were faithful to the Lord. That, that imagine, imagine this morning, uh, ladies, if your husband was threatened with imprisonment because he was going to have your children get baptized after they get saved. Imagine your husband you know, being burned at the stake and then a few weeks later you're, you're drowned in, the, in, the, in a river because of your faith. The people that they went before us, they were faithful. Um, we talked about history being rewritten. Um, 
And then uh, look with, back with me, if you would, at our text here, Second Corinthians chapter 3. So verse 1, do we begin again, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. You know, one of the things that I'm so excited to come back I had this thought this week, you know, I'm a part, I'm a, I'm a part of living Baptist history where uh, I mentioned Pastor Baron Rodericks. He was a man that was working at a, a prison. And we actually, what happened was we were there by Isaac Backus's grave, if I remember right, and we were coming back and, and Baron, he stops and he just stands up and starts yelling at the bus, hey, that prison over there, that's where I got saved. And what happened was he had a supervisor that kept slipping him tracks. And at first, he didn't read them, didn't care anything about them. But there was one day that he decided to read one. And he came to trust Christ as his Savior. And now he's this pastor of this church that has amazing historical connections. What is this? I mean, this is living Baptist history. And if Christ doesn't come back for 100 years, will there, will there be people that are influenced through this ministry? And I believe that there will be. And here's the cool thing. Did those, you know, did Adoniram Judson go over to Burma so he could be written about in books, you know? That's the amazing thing. These people, they were so humble. The Bible says, by humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And I thought, these people didn't do this to make a name for themselves. These guys didn't, didn't preach the gospel and, and, and ride around you know, until they were just sick on horses and tr- trying to get people the gospel so they could make a name for themselves. And you know, there is that temptation in our day and age to, even if you're not a pastor, but just... In your life, there's, there's temptation to, to, to be somebody and to make a name for yourself. And uh, God says, by humility and fear of the Lord, our riches, honor, and life. Are you going to try and make a name for yourself or just be faithful to God and see what God does with you? Here, Paul said, these people, they are the spirit of the living God had changed their lives. And we know doctrinally, Pastor Jeff said that every sermon ought to be a doctrinal sermon, so we're going to make sure this is doctrinal, right? What is that talking about? They, they heard the gospel. That's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They understood that they were sinners. And after they placed their faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God saved them and came to indwell them. And so here in 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to them through the inspiration of the Spirit. And they're a wreck. You look morally at some of the things that Paul is dealing with in there. And they needed to change some things. What, what happened? They, they took that reproof. They took that correction, straightened it out. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I made you guys sorry, and I'm not sorry that you were sorry. I'm really glad that you repented. Not that you didn't have a worldly sorrow that leads to death, but that you had a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And uh, their lives were changed, and we're reading about these people. A hundred years from now, will you have a life worthy of being written about? And uh, again... We're not going to go out and obey God just so we can be written about in a book. But man, as I walk through the halls and, and, and as we hang out in fellowship this afternoon and, and you see one another, you see these children tonight. You know, I, I walked by Stacy Wendell's Sunday school class this morning. Can you imagine the potential in that room for God? That what God could do with the lives of those kids. As you come tonight, you know, five o'clock, be here for the Awana Awards night. And you think about these children that are up here. You know, there was a day at Adoniram Judson, he was just a little child. Charles Spurgeon, there was a day he was just a little child. Uh, these, these men that, that uh, paved the way for us, there, so many of them were influenced in their childhood. And is there a chance that the next C.H. Spurgeon is down in somebody's Sunday school class? 
that the next Isaac Bacchus is uh, in your Awana class. You know, who knows what God will do with these young people? But if, if they'll come to trust Christ as their Savior, they'll be known and read of all men. And, and, and I think about so many... This is the point I wanted to get at also. There are so many of you that when we hear about the testimonies of these Baptists that have gone before, it makes me think about some of you guys and the way that you came to trust Christ. Whether it be you grew up in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church and you got saved at a young age. As I read about the histories of these men, I'm sure, Patrick, you've come across these where these, these young men, they'll be convicted of their sin at 14 and give their lives to Christ. It makes me think about, you know, um, what could God use me to do as a youth pastor in your guys' lives and as you surrender to the Lord? Um, as a father, it challenges me so much. What could God do with my daughters? You know, is there, is there going to be a young guy that surrenders to the mission field and, and, and marries that guy and has an influence in that ministry? You know, if God does that in her life, I need to be willing to say, I'll come over and see you. You got to make sure that you're a missionary to Hawaii. You know, I'll, I'll make sure that I catch up to you or whatever. But what is God going to do? And then Patrick had mentioned this, and I'll uh, close with this. Our, God really is giving our pastor influence. And um, not just with young people, but there was a man that was with us. He's been a pastor. He graduated Bible college in 1990. He's been a pastor, started church, and has pastored that church for uh, almost two decades. And he was with us on this trip for the first time. And uh, I was going through Twitter this week, and uh, Dalton had retweeted this. And so he, this, this man that was with us on the trip said this, I'm embarrassed that I know so much about Protestant icons and nearly nothing about the thousands of Baptist men of God. I'm going to fix that. And, you know, that's, I think one of the other men said it before, when you see the influence that God is giving our pastor, it's so cool to see when guys don't think that they know it all. And this man said, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a problem here. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a man of God. Yeah, I've, I've got a pastor. Uh, I've been a pastor. I've got a church. But there's some things I'm going to fix. And uh, I never want to get to the place where I think that I've got the Christian life. i got it all down. That I wouldn't take reproof or, or correction. And that I would say, you know what, I'm going to fix that. You know, um, there may be, as you go through, let me just throw this out, plug in there. As you go through discipleship. As a disciple, if there's something your discipler is challenging you on, if it's how you're dealing with your kids, how you're raising your children, if it's on giving, if it's on baptism, if it's on whatever it is, don't think that you know it all. Don't be stubborn. Don't be rebellious. You know, just submit to the scriptures. Because history is replete with men and women who, who just submitted to the word of God and God used them in a great way. And God wants to do that in your life. You know, Tyler talked about needing to get that King James Bible. And I got my first King James Bible when I was 16 years old. My mom got it, got bought it for me for, for my birthday. I was so reminded of that change that happened in my life. And, and to think, Tyler, this is fleshly tables of the heart, man. The Spirit of God's changing your life. And Travis, I know you're in discipleship. And we could just go person after person. The, the whalers just joined last week. And it's just so cool to see the people that God is bringing with us. Um, I love seeing... Uh, brother Jerry, uh, brother Jerry here, uh, and uh, how God used your dad in this ministry. And I, I showed him um, a couple weeks ago the 60th anniversary of our church, the 60th anniversary video, and we had a shot where, where it was, I think, from Sue Blackford, but it was from the 60s, maybe. And uh, I didn't know they had video recorders in the 60s, no. but <laughs> it was from the 60s, and they, they were painting across people that were in our church, and they were. I had different subtitles, and he goes, "That's my dad." 
and he was the one that we didn't have subtitled. I didn't know that was his father, and so I got him a copy of that. And I think about how today we have people in our church because your dad, you know, all those years ago was faithful to God and, and submitted to the Scriptures. And uh, you guys, I mean, you're the future of this church. And what is God going to use you to do? You know, imagine if one of these guys is pastoring the church down the road. I mean, or whatever God would call you guys to do. And, um, you know, we, we need we need men in this church who will be faithful 60 years from now. And if you're not the pastor, you know, what else will God use you to do in this area? Will you be faithful? And uh, just amazing. So for as much as you're manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, has Jesus Christ changed your life? Have you said yes to him for salvation? And after that you got saved, have you said yes to his word? Have you allowed him to change your life? God wants to, and he wants to use you in a great way. And uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for...